Patrick shot me a message. <laughs> Would you be willing to come and speak at Fourth Avenue? And uh, <laughs> I jumped all over that one. But just a joy to be with you. And I thank him for, for thinking of us for that. We want to thank you. And um, thank you for being such a special church to us. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Kyle, I still remember that, that call out to Arizona in 94. And... Um, I got off the phone with you. We were friends from Fayetteville, but we were out in Arizona then. And he calls and talks about uh, them wanting us to come and consider this work at, at Fourth. And I got off the phone and Ann said, what was that? I said, that was Kyle Bills. What did he want? He wanted us to consider coming to Franklin and working with this church. And she said, what did you tell him? I said, I told him we'd pray about it. And she said, why'd you tell him that? because we loved where we were and and yet we were open to see what God wanted for us and it's just the way it is when we're open to to see what he wants for us and he continues to amaze and to bless some of you might remember those early uh, Christmas dramas and Easter dramas that we would have um, it was Clay Walker that would direct those, if you remember. Some of you would remember those. Some of you would remember the beginning of the care groups ministry. And do you still have the care groups? Okay. And we, we started the care groups ministry. And I remember one of the times Monty McInturf was leading that. He was our deacon working in that. We went down and filled up the basement here. And we decided, Monty and I had talked about it, we decided, let's let God put the groups together. Let's not let people just pick and choose where they're going to go. So let's put all the names in a hat, all the names of the church in a hat, and let's go from leader to leader. Let them draw it out. Let's pray about it. Let God put people together. It was the wildest thing. But we tried some of everything. And God blessed us in funny ways in great ways. I remember asking the elders, could we have a deacon of prayer? And I believe that first one was Mark Parkey, deacon of prayer. And then we brought Tom Cook on staff as a shepherd. And then lo and behold, we were able to get Albert and Patsy Lemons here and bless us in that. And Anne and I, Albert, we were praying about the possibility of going to Arizona to plant a church. There were things in our minds. We were here nine years, and we were thinking about what, what does God want us to do next? And we were praying about it. And there was a place there, and there were cities springing up around Phoenix out in the desert. And we were praying about it. And when we got Albert and Patsy... I just knew that through his prayers and our prayers, I, I thought God is going to work this thing out. And Ann and I got to a point, we walked together every night, and we got to a point, we were thinking about making this transition, going and leaving this place and starting with scratch, starting from scratch. And we thought, what if, what if this goes wrong? What if that? What if this? What if that? 
And I remember the night when we looked at each other. We're on our little path, and we, we stopped, and we looked at each other and said, it doesn't matter, does it? All the what-ifs, when you ask God, and then He leads you, and you go, and you go. And I tell you, in one of the meetings out west, as I went out and, and got to meet with folks out there, there was a meeting where they said, this was before we even launched out, some of the parents said, could you meet with our children and the little children were saying, we like the church we're at. They were about 30 miles away down in Scottsdale. We like our church. I met with the, the little children there in the living room and said, I love it that you like your church. I like my church. I'm not coming here because I don't like my church. I love my church. Jesus loved heaven. He didn't leave it and come to earth because he didn't like it there with the Father. He left it because we needed him to. And there are things that God calls us to do at times that are sacrificial. And he says, I'm coming to you. And so he comes to us. And so I conveyed this to the children. I'm so glad you love your church. But Jesus loved heaven. And he came here anyway. And so we, we got to talk to them about that. And they came to love that new church as well. I wanted to show, oh, we've been showing some of the pictures of the, of the Canyon Church. This, part of the reason I was so excited. Oh, Matt Rabine sitting right there. Do you remember sitting in my office? And we prayed about you coming to come work here as an intern. And the idea was that if we had him as an intern, we could send him off as a missionary. Just great things the church continues to do, and now here you are. But here's this congregation that we planted in Arizona, Canyon Church of Christ. And uh, I, they have a, a great young minister there now, um, Nathan Freeman. They had 24 baptisms in 2015. Congregation of about 200, buildings, shepherds, deacons, missions. We would have um, living nativities Christmas and have a thousand people from the community come in. Just great things were happening there, still are. They're going to two services in this place. Canyon Church of Christ. And so I'm, I'm not there anymore. We came back to Nashville. I'm now on sabbatical. <laughs> when Nancy heard that I was on sabbatical, she said, just let God love on you. And he's doing that. Part of that is just this morning being with you, letting God love on me and Ann and all of you, I hope. But this is a great work that you've done. So let me, before I get into the text, let me say thank you. Thank you, Fourth Avenue, for what you did I remember the night that I met with the elders and I said, <laughs> men, Ann and I are leaving. We actually gave 10 months notice because we needed time to get ready. <laughs> Think of the place I put them in. But I said, we're leaving. We're going to Anthem, Arizona. We're going to plant a church. It's a new city going in, no churches. We're going there in 10 months. It'll be July of 03, and we're going there. And they asked me, what if we don't support this? 
And I had already asked all the what ifs. And I said, I don't guess it matters. But then they come along and say, we support it. <laughs> and they supported, you guys supported us, came along beside us. And so we want to say thank you. And because of the work of this congregation, you have, you have a daughter church in the desert of Arizona that's one of the strongest churches of Christ in the state of Arizona. You have that. <laughs> through your prayers, through your support, through your encouragement, through your money, you planted a church. God has blessed us. So let's get into a, a lesson tonight. We asked a lot of what ifs. I want to ask you, what if, what if you could ask Jesus any question? Anthony, what if you, I won't put you on the spot, but what, what if you could ask Jesus any question? Think about that walking with Jesus and, hey, hey, how do bumblebees fly? You know, they look so lopsided. Hey, why did you make mosquitoes? We don't like them. You know, think, think about walking with Jesus and asking, asking him questions. I want to get into a text this morning, and this is one of those where it is... In Matthew's gospel, the last question he was asked, as far as those that would challenge his authority, those that would uh, come against him, kind of debate with him, last question. The Sadducees had asked him about the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. What if a woman has seven husbands they, you know, in, in a series, they all die, and then in the resurrection, who will be her husband? You know, the, he says, you don't understand the power of God in the Scripture. There is a resurrection. And then here come the Pharisees with their question. Guess what it would be about? It would be about law. They're concerned about the law. They're concerned about commandments. What's the greatest commandment? And he boils it down, and I'm calling this the irreducible core. Albert, we could check a whole lot of things off the list, but if we ignore this, right? If we fail to love God and love our neighbors, we've missed the core. We've missed the heart. So let's look at it. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It all hangs on this. So here are Pharisees concerned about the law. What's the greatest law? Give us a rule. Give us something to keep. Give us something to check off. Here it is. The greatest Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. 
Second, love your neighbor like yourself. Ooh, might rather have the checklist. This is overwhelming. You know, and I will say that this is the greatest command. Now, if he had said the greatest truth, what's the greatest truth? I wonder if he might have answered that God loves us. Because we didn't love him first. God loves us, and it's overwhelming. Ephesians chapter 3, as Paul's describing that and praying that we could know the love of Christ, it's beyond our comprehension. So the greatest truth might very well be that God has loved us first. The greatest prayer might be that one in John toward the end of the gospel. They're in the upper room, and he prays that they may be one. All of those that would come to believe on him would, would come together, be one. What, what an awesome prayer. I wonder if they had asked, what's the greatest prayer you've ever prayed? If he might have said, just that you would be one. What about the greatest adventure? As I thought, if I could ask, Gee, what's the greatest adventure? Hey, there's a resurrection coming. Think about that. Think about the power of being raised, resurrected, coming back to life, life coming back into your body, becoming a glorified body, being lifted through the clouds, lifted to the throne room to stand before God. Resurrection, Mike. Especially if someone's cremated. Think about that. Cremated, ashes scattered on the ocean, and all of it comes together. Resurrection. How does he do it? I don't know. But you talk about adventure. The great, I don't know. Is that the greatest adventure? Coming in to resurrect and going to heaven to be with Christ? There's nothing boring about it. But here they didn't ask that. They wanted to know a command. Give us something. Jesus, we have the greatest command. Love God with all of your being. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll ask you, how are you doing with those? Whew. And I don't, I don't ask you that because I've got it all wrapped up. I ask you that because I need to work on that. Here we are starting a new year, and I'm thinking, this is it. This is the package. This is the irreducible core, and how am I loving God, and how am I loving my neighbor? And so how are you doing? And if you say, hey, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm about a 7. About a seven at loving God, maybe an eight on some days, and then on for my neighbor, let's knock it down to maybe a six. As myself, well, maybe a five. What about as a church? Could you say, how are you as a church at loving God and loving your neighbor? What what would you say? We're about a seven, eight, nine, maybe. But what would it take to bring it up a notch? To say, God, I want to love you more, and I want to love my neighbors more. So I ask you this morning, how are you doing, and how am I doing? The Ephesian church had been a church that had loved God 
It had loved Christ. There were things about love that Paul wrote about in that Ephesian letter that are just amazing things about loving Christ. But then by the time Jesus addresses them in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, they had fallen from their first love. They had fallen from their first love. And so it's not simply that we don't gather. The Ephesian church was still gathering. It's not simply that we still have communion. I'm sure they were still having communion. But husbands and wives, how do you love each other? It's not simply coming to the table and sitting there. You know, oh, do you love your wife? Sure, she fixed me supper. I showed up at the table. I showed up. I was there. I was at the table. No, do you love them? What's your heart's desire? Do you long to please your wife? Do you long to please your husband? Do you long to please God? Do you long to find out what are the things of God? How do I love Him? How can I love Him more? How can I please Him? How can I worship Him with all of my heart? And then how can I affect my neighbor? So loving God, loving people, that neighbor thing, wow. In, in Luke 10, when Jesus answered this same question, and he gave them, the man asked, another man asked, well, who's my neighbor? And he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's, here's the neighbor. It's, it's those around you who need you. That's your neighbor. But here in Matthew 22, he didn't tell that. Matthew 22, Jesus has already told them, if you look at Matthew's gospel, there is in chapter 4 this beginning of preaching from that time on. He, he preached publicly. Chapter 16, from that time on, he taught the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and elders and scribes, be put to death, be raised again. He must do that. Chapter 22, from that time on, they didn't ask him any more questions, but it comes after this. Jesus is, at this point, on his way to go to the cross. He's on his way to do the mission of sacrificing everything for me and for you. And so see the heart of Christ. And I want to remind you, with this heart of Christ, that Jesus wept twice that we know of in his ministry. You know, one of those was in John chapter 11. It was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The other one was in Luke chapter 19. This is as he's approaching the city of Jerusalem. He's about to die there. So at one, he's got uh, this friend who has died that he's going to resurrect, and he weeps. At the other one, he sees the city of Jerusalem. He's about to die there. He's going to be resurrected there, but he weeps. He weeps. There are two different words used for weeping there. One of them means to shed a tear, one of them means to weep out loud. Can you guess which is which? At the tomb of his best friend, or of a dear friend, he sheds a tear. At the city of Jerusalem and the needs of the world, he wept out loud. 
could we come to have a little bit more of the heart of Christ and to be able to weep, maybe not just shed a tear, but maybe at times weep about those around us and care about their lives. I want to ask you four questions, and we'll wrap it up here in just a few moments, but four questions to prompt us and then a few challenging thoughts for you. One, do you believe Jesus? Do we believe the words of the Bible? Not just about the greatest thing, the greatest thing we can do is to love God and love our neighbor, but what about the words of the Bible? What about his words about heaven? What about his words about hell? What about the, the reality of the things of Christ? Do we really believe it? Two, do we care if people get it? Do we care if people around us come to know his love? Come to know that there is a God in heaven who loves you more than we can describe. He loves you more than we can explain. But do we care enough about those around us that we would want them to know that? Third, are you willing to give up anything for the sake of those others? And we might be able to look at these and say, yes, Mike, yes, we believe, right? We believe the Bible. We believe Jesus. Yes, we care about others. Yes, we're willing to sacrifice. And now let's put some meat on it and think about how do we do that? How do we do it? So number four, I'm going to ask you, what does God want you to do here at Fourth Avenue? And you're doing a lot of that already. But I'm saying if it's a seven, if it's an eight, what does it take to crank it up a notch? If you're loving God at a certain level, what does it take to love him more? If you're loving the city of Franklin at a certain level, what does it take to turn it up a notch? And what if the shepherds of this church and what if the ministers of this church challenged each of the ministries? And I'm not saying create a new ministry of, of, of some sort of outreach. I'm just saying what if they challenged all of the ministries and all of the people of the church, whatever you're doing, Take it one notch closer to God and one notch closer to people in everything that you're doing. What if, what if you challenged yourself that way? And so a few points for us to think about as we close 2016. Just opening up the year. I would like to challenge you to ask God to help you love people more. And you already do. I'm, I know that this church loves people. I hear of things all the time. But can you do it more? Ask God to help you love people more. And I'll join you in that. A second thought could we confess any lack of love? Confess any lack of love for God when we get so self-consumed? Confess any lack of love for those around at times we've had opportunities and we failed to do that? Confess. Come before God as confessors of a lack of love. And number three, beg God 
for a faith that can take risks, can take any risk, can break down any barrier, and can raise the dead. Mark, come up and and let's sing together about God reviving us. Is that right, the next song? Okay. Let's sing this song with all of our hearts and think about the core of what God wants for us. And I'm just laying out a bit of a challenge for you as you start the year, and even a challenge for myself. Because where I'm a six or a seven, I want to crank it up a notch. I want to love him more. I want to love my neighbor more. And maybe you'll help me do that. Would you stand? Let's worship.